Facebook and social media and even TV make it seem like all success is overnight. And all that overnight success has a really long journey in the background. And that journey is comprised of doing small things every day to get you to that goal. And that to me is the Olympian journey. And that's what I live and embrace every day. Thanks for tuning into the Purposeful Story Podcast, where purpose drives our actions and our actions are a result of our purpose. When you have a strong enough purpose, every action you take in life has meaning and power to it. Every entrepreneur is on a journey to fulfill their purpose, and the world needs to hear it. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. All right, welcome to the show today. We have Martha Henderson. Among many other things, I'm going to let her go through it in detail, but she's a really motivated public speaker um, and she helps motivated individuals partake on their new entrepreneurial journeys. Martha, thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks. It's great to be here. No problem. So I always want to start off from everyone's beginnings. Mm -hmm. Where did you grow up? Toronto, downtown, born and raised. Jeez, right in the downtown core. Yep. Yep. So which hospital were you born in? <laughs> uh, Toronto General. Okay. Yeah. So literally University and, uh, and, and King were down, right down there. Yeah. So you've always been used to the, the city life, the, the, the hustle and bustle of the city life, eh? Yeah. My family had a cottage on Toronto Island. So we spent the winters in the city. And then as soon as school was out, we'd move to the island, which was great because it was really close to the city. So my parents could both go to work or do whatever they did in the city mm-hmm. and, um, but then we were always on the, in the cottage together. So none of this driving back and forth up north. It was great to spend the whole summer, literally from the end of school until the back to school, like on Toronto Island. Nice. Toronto Island. That's, yeah. that's a solid property to have, like on Toronto Island. Well, at the time, it was a lot different than it is today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's a really amazing place to spend time in the summer. Um, but yeah. We, we don't have the cottage anymore and it's now it has to be your primary full-time residence. Mm. Then you can have it as just a summer cottage. So a bit more rustic than what they have right now. Interesting. Interesting. What's the first thing you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be in sport management for sure. And I did that for um, a long time. Uh, I was exposed to sport at a really high level as a kid. Um, but I did it as a sort of volunteer role. I like almost failed exams volunteering at the boat show and because I just wanted to be there and be involved in, in those events and, and helping supporting the athletes and the, and the cause or the, or the event that they were preparing for. I always loved to be close to people who were achieving and who were motivated to do something that was different or was bigger than themselves. Uh, so I didn't know that it was sports marketing at the time, but, uh, I did every event that I possibly could volunteer for and, so it was a little bit more nebulous because I didn't know there was something as sports marketing when I was a kid. Uh, but I ran events and, um, fundraised and, uh, participated in anything and everything that, that I could in that, in that vein. And then when I got older and I realized that sports marketing and, and athlete management and sponsorship was actually a job, uh, I, I went into that. So that nice. was, that was where my path was. So you competed in the 2008 Olympics. Yeah. Beijing Olympics. Yeah. 
What age? What age did you compete at? I comp- I was at forty. Okay. So in so I competed in sailing, and in that sport, the equipment changes every once in a while to address popularity or gender equality or technology. And so the type of boat that I was sailing got named as a uh, to the Olympic equipment roster um in 2000 and so we tried for 2004 and didn't qualify and i decided to persevere and move on to 2008 um so yeah for me it was an eight-year journey but i left my career at um essentially 32 to pursue this this passion and this dream wow and is that typical age for sailing like is that it's not hugely unusual but it's not totally common i definitely wasn't the oldest person there but mm-hmm. um i was on the older skew at the time there were people who were in their 50s but this was their third or fourth games um wow. and so their first games was when they were in their 20s and then progressed through um now just because the type of boats that are in the games it's the age it skews a lot younger. Um, but yeah, there were Olympic medalists who were in their, in their sixties. So, and it, it's a sport that combines both, um, endurance and, um, skill okay. because you're constantly adapting. So you have to have that experience to know, not only have your strength, but to adapt to the conditions that are given to you every day, which are completely different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, and that was that was my next question. I've never like I've seen it on the Olympics, but I don't know much about it. Um you know, the interesting thing is that, you know, there's there's these typical sports that people go into, basketball, mm-hmm. you know, football, soccer. Those are the typical sports. Mm-hmm. Um is that a sport you were into uh sailing? Was that a sport you were introduced to at a young age? Yeah, so my father is a two-time Olympian in sailing. So wow. again, his family had a cottage on Toronto Island and there's not much else to do on the island other than sail and play baseball. So um he had a little boat when he was a little boy and it was like, send you off to sea and <laughs> have a good time. Um I sort of went the same route, Uh not necessarily uh because of him, but there wasn't really much else to do. You went for swimming lessons and then there was sailing and I really wasn't much of a baseball player. My brother was much more into racket sports and baseball and, um, so he did that, but I kind of gravitated towards the water and the sailing. So it was because of the exposure of being on the island. Um, and all, all the kids my age were sailing in little boats. Some of them their dads built, some of them were a bit more high performance than that, but we were all out together on during the week and on the weekends. So that was our camp. Mm-hmm. Product of your environment. I exactly. Guess. Okay. Exactly. Okay. What would you say was your most memorable moment from the Olympics? When you qualify, um, in sailing, there's only one boat per country who competes. So throughout your entire competitive process, your, um, your boat is a number. It's like can one for one. And because there's been 141 different Canadian boats in that type of, uh, class previous to you, when you get to the Olympics, it's just you and your boat and sails are done up in your country colors. And so the 
thing that was the most impactful for me was the first time we put our sails up when we just had our country colors on, on the boat and not our, the sort of normal numbers. And that was what really hit me that, that we were there and we were representing the country and it was only us. And it was the, a unique thing that was actually happening, uh, at that time. Interesting. It's, and what's it like? You know what I mean? Just walking in on opening on the opening event and, you know, you're representing Canada. Like what's that feeling like? It was pretty surreal. So our competition started the day after the opening ceremonies. So within 12 hours of the opening ceremonies and our venue was 700 kilometers slightly north and east of Beijing. So it was not wow. possible for us to um, go to the opening ceremonies. We would not have gotten back in time for our competition. We did have a smaller opening for the sailing venue because we were so far away. But, you know, that whole process of going through an opening and the start of the games was pretty surreal. It There's so much more attention, media, people around than a sport like ours normally ever gets because mm -hmm. sailing being um, something that happens out on the water, there's not a lot of spectating. You don't play it in an arena like track or volleyball or basketball or soccer. Um, we're not used to having crowds around. And when you get into this environment, I mean, the Chinese didn't really know much about sailing, but there were tons of them lining the pier just to be a part of the, the Olympic experience. And, that was the thing that kind of hit me and, and I had to take a sp step back every once in a while because you need to focus on your competition, but you also need to acknowledge that this is something that's special and that you had to find that balance. But, um, yeah, it was more that there were only 400 of us in at our venue and, you know, we became pretty tight with those 400 athletes. So it was quite special. 400 is, is quite a bit. I mean, <laughs> well, when you well, I, think, when you think the Canadian team itself is 300 and the total attendance for athletes is like almost 5,000, it's, it's kind of small. Makes sense. On a, on a bigger scale, for mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. And what's one aspect of sailing that you would say is, is unique amongst other sports? That we spend more time competing together with other nations than we do with our own nation. So with our own teammates, um, because you, because of the different types of boats, you're usually put in a um, space in the marina or in the venue that is clumped together with, with the same types of boats. So you're next to the Australians or the New Zealanders or the Germans, the Dutch Greeks, you're all, you're all together. So you get to know the people who you're competing against almost better than you know your fellow countrymen. Um, and that's quite unique. I, I did a lot of work with, uh, rowers and, and swimmers and they barely knew anybody from any of the other countries where I know the, our other country competitors better than I knew, um, our Canadian teammates. We got to know them because at, at the Olympics, you're, um, in the village living in the, on the same floors. And so I got to know my teammates better there than I did when we we're competing internationally. Okay. It's just a, a, where everybody's placed and, and how you're situated in the, in the venue. Okay. So it's more of, it's more of like, um, like a family oriented sport, so to speak. Sailing. I'd say so. Yeah. I'd say so. Okay. So 
you know, sailing. So you started out in sports, um, sports marketing, mm-hmm. went into sailing, and then you sort of started your entrepreneurial journey. What, what made you start heading down that route? I realized that my Olympic journey was actually uh, like running an entrepreneurial business. We did everything for ourselves. We didn't have um, any sort of team support. We shipped our boats all over the world on our own. Wow. We hired our own coaches. We planned our own training schedule. We developed our own equipment. So we did our own marketing and fundraising, uh, did our own promotion. And when I came back from the Olympics, I was quite lucky because I'd had this career beforehand that I could hop back into a career very quickly. But I realized that I had become not a really great employee. Uh, I did a good job with what, where I was at, but I didn't enjoy it because I'd had it. My, my mindset had shifted. My mindset had shifted to being very goal oriented, to wanting to achieve, to want to try something different, to make it better and, and make something bigger. And oftentimes what I found in corporate life that, you know, trying something different and something new was not always embraced. Like following the corporate line was more what was accepted. And I, hit my head against the wall with that because I was actually told that one of my promotions that I did was too successful. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I don't, it it was completely on plan and presented. So what does being too successful mean? So I realized at that point that being stuck in a corporate box was not really what I wanted to do. And the entrepreneurial journey has been scary but uh it has been a lot more fulfilling than than being held back by somebody else's expectations so you, you could meet and surpass and not not even meet your own expectations but at least you're learning something from it mm-hmm. so absolutely that's powerful stuff mm-hmm. what was you, what would you say was your first step into your entrepreneurial journey because you know when you're making that transition you know, it's, it's pretty scary. It's pretty surreal, like you mentioned, but you're not sure what step to take first. You know what I mean? It's- right. So I started my business alongside of my corporate job for a couple of years. It kind of, they ran parallel. And what attracted me to it was just a lot of positive, like-minded people who were taking this chance and willing to put themselves out there and give it a go and build something for themselves. I was transitioned out of my corporate job. Um, I think it's, it's quite common right now in the marketplace that once you hit mid forties to, um, fifties, you become expensive for corporations to keep employed because the burden of the pension funds and benefits are extreme as you get older. So. I was transitioned out. I know a number of my colleagues and friends have been transitioned out and it's about redefining yourself. And I'd already started my business. So it allowed me the opportunity to really explore this entrepreneurial path without having to try to go back into a corporate job, which is tough to do at any age at this point. So I jumped in and embraced it and it has taken a couple of different twists and turns and I really had to figure out who I am and what I'm presenting. Uh, and that's taken some time and taken some, uh, personal growth and development. It's taken, uh, the use of business coaches, uh, going to different networking groups, 
really throwing things out there strategically, but figuring out what it is that's resonating, not only with me, but the people who are hearing what I'm having to say. Uh, and it's been an incredible journey and it, it, it's, it's ongoing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Investing yourself a lot to sort of figure out your path. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, now you but said- that doesn't mean not doing. I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah. it, you need to invest in yourself, but you also need to do and execute. Absolutely. Right. So you, I, um, I do, do a lot of, um, business development or personal development, listening to books and, and go- going to seminars and listening to podcasts. But there's, you have to execute as well because the only way, in my opinion, that you really know what's going to work is if you try. Absolutely. And actually do, because you can live up in your head and nothing ever comes out. Um, but it was like, it's like competing. You know, uh, I, I had an experience where people would say, well, well we're going to beat you on the race course. Like we're going to, we're going to come, we, we can beat you. And I'm like, well, I'm sure you can, but you actually have to show up to be able to do that. <laughs> so if you don't actually show up on the starting line, there's no way that you can win or lose. You, you just sit and live, live in this fantasy in your mind. It's the same thing with in business or starting an entrepreneurial thing. Sometimes the end result isn't what you totally thought it was going to be. But if you don't try it and start to execute and see what works and then be willing to find another path, if that doesn't work, then again, you're just going to live in your mind and you definitely will not be successful. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, a lot of people in this day and age too, they get caught up in the planning. And the talking about doing something and not actually doing it. And you end up just going in circles, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you can literally plan for a lifetime, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you can plan for a lifetime. Um, but some things you just can't plan for. You almost have to actually do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely speaks volumes. Yeah. Paralysis by analysis, mm-hmm. I think, is the, is the catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. But you can reorganize your office and have the most beautiful, pristine office. Mine's a disaster. It's a total mess. <laughs> but it's because I, I know that it, if it's a mess, it's because I'm in execution mode. If it's pristine, it's because I'm not actually doing anything <laughs> and just organizing. So, okay. Yeah. Now, tell us specifically about your, your business. Like, be, can you, can you help us sort of understand your business model? Like, what is it exactly you do with people who are starting their entrepreneurial journey? Take us through that process. Right. So the, my business has three different pillars and it's because I like to be really busy and do a lot of different things. And all of it is in the, under the umbrella of rising tides. So a rising tide lifts all boats is the quote. And I believe that everybody working together absolutely makes magic happen and everybody rises up. So even though when I'm an, an innately competitive person, my competition is about bringing everybody up rather than beating everybody down. So the three pillars is that I have a health and wellness business. I'm a travel agent that focuses on adventure and exploration travel, and I run a motivational speaker series. So when I'm speaking with people and meeting to people, usually they fit into one of those three pillars as to what is going to help and enrich their life and motivate them. If um, they want to become more healthy and work with a product and a product line that is going to improve their health as well as 
potentially improve their pocketbook, then that's a path for them. If they want to start an entrepreneurial journey and are looking to be inspired by other women, then they fall into the motivational speaking side. And, you know, if somebody just needs a break and refresh, and I totally believe in going out and exploring the world to enhance your life and enhance the person who you are, uh, then that's a path for them too. So it's a bit fragmented, but it all sort of fits together in a, in my world of all the experiences that I've had and bringing it all together. Interesting. Interesting. That's pretty neat. I mean, I can see myself. Yeah. You can always fit someone in one of those three Mm -hmm. categories. So it definitely works out. Yeah. Keeps Um, me busy. (laughs) I can imagine. So have you traveled a lot? A fair amount. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I believe that our Olympic journey was doing like the amazing race with a boat, a 20 foot boat attached onto the back. (laughs) So we would arrive, we, we arrived in Europe and we would have a series of competitions that we would need to go to and you'd have to figure out renting the car and getting the boat to and from. So yeah, I've done quite a bit of traveling. Um, uh, not as much sort of resort hang out on the beach type type travel, but um, through all throughout Europe, obviously into China for the Olympics. Uh, I went into, into the Middle East and all through the United States. I think I've been to every Cracker Barrel restaurant along I-75 <laughs> going back and forth to Florida. Uh, we have done a lot of travel throughout Canada. My mother was amazing uh, in finding these really off the beaten path trips for us to do as kids. Uh, we went white water rafting down the Fraser river and we went to a dude ranch in, in Alberta. Uh, yeah, we, my family is definitely not a lie on the beach, do nothing kind of family. Uh, but I mean, my father was the head of uh, Toronto's bid for the 1996 Olympics. And he went around the world 25 times in about five years in that process. Wow. And took us along whenever he could. We were working, like definitely a part of the bid team. There was no slacking off. But uh, yeah, we got to go to some really interesting places and meet some really neat people. It's pretty neat. Yeah. You know, as as an athlete too, I always find it's very interesting because athletes, they're they're in a competitive environment. Mm -hmm. That translates. Like I think it's 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 an important um, attribute to have outside of sports um, because when you're competitive in something, um, it transfers over to you know everyday life. Mm-hmm. It for it pushes you to be that much better. So it almost gives you an advantage. Um, how has that competitive nature from from uh, competing um, in sailing helped you in your business? So I'm careful with the word competitive because I. In my belief, it's about doing what you can to become better every day. Mm-hmm. So it is about making yourself better and everybody around you better. So it's not a competitive of beating the other person down or trying to beat the person at the next desk. It's about what can you do to empower, to um, elevate everybody around you by what it is that you're doing. So I believe in inspiring and motivating and cheerleading for everybody. And in that way, the entire group or company or everything will grow, whatever it is that you're, that you're involved with. 
Um, I am the biggest rallier that if I'm doing something fun or that I think is fun and neat and cool, or I hear something fun, neat and cool, I'm like, come on, come with me. Like, we got to do this because this is going to be really interesting and fun. Uh, and so I'm a big rallier of, of, of energy. Uh, and I think it's, that's where the advantage is because, you know, to do it on your own is actually really lonely and, I don't think you can sustain that. Mm-hmm. Sailing is is actually classified as a team sport, even though a lot of it is done individually and independently. You have to work together with your teammates in order for everybody to um, to raise up. Like I know in sailing, if I went was out of sync with my teammates, I could break my nose, and I got swacked in the face a couple of times really? by my teammates because we got out of sync. And even if you do go out, it can get actually very dangerous if you're out of sync with what's going on um, out on the water, depending on the conditions. So it is about finding a way to work together to empower everybody. But if you're competitive within within yourself to strive to be better, to elevate your current position or your current skill or whatever it is that you're you're trying to achieve – if you're taking those little steps all the time and working together to make that happen, then, then that's the real advantage. Because again, you know, there's all these great sayings, teamwork, make the dream work, which I didn't like that phrase. It used to like send my teeth on edge (laughs) because I wasn't, I didn't have a teamwork that was making the dream work, but then I realized, okay, you know, when that click happens, when you get the group of people together or you, you are empowering one another, to be better than it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. So what's next for Martha Henderson? So I have a, a motivational speaking speaker series called spoken lives, and it's a platform for entrepreneurial women to share their stories uh, that I am looking to translate into more motivational speaking really because I didn't feel like I had a story. We were 13th in the Olympics. I don't have a bunch of medals around my neck. So I didn't feel that my story was valid. I didn't feel that I had anything to share with anybody because who wants to hear from the person who was 13th at the Olympics? You know, people don't remember anybody who didn't even win, didn't win the gold medal. And oftentimes you don't even remember that from a couple of years ago. So I didn't feel that I was relevant. And that has shifted within the last year where I realized that everybody's story is valid because it's their story and everybody has a right to tell that story. And everybody has, because it's not the end result that is the key. It's the journey that everybody takes and everybody's journey is different. Mm. And that journey can speak to somebody. It may not speak to everybody, but it speaks to somebody. So I think my world right now is taking a bit of a shift, another shift into uh, an, a more inspirational, motivational path that you're never too old to start something new and it it's scary but it shouldn't stop you and i want to empower and enlighten people with the fact that just because someone has told you maybe your story isn't as exotic or elaborate as someone who has achieved and is on a weedy's box or is on tv doesn't make it any less valid As a business owner, the more you can leverage your time, the better it is for your company. 
there is this amazing online resource called Fiverr, where you can hire someone for just $5 to do just about any task for you, whether it be logo design, market research, videography, or website building, Fiverr has it all. Please go to imcobi.com forward slash resources and click on the Fiverr icon to make an account. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Welcome to the Purpose Round, where we ask our entrepreneurs the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind their business and their entrepreneurial journey. Martha, what is your purpose as an entrepreneur? It's really to inspire people to become better every day, to take little steps towards their goals. Facebook and social media and even TV make it seem like all success is overnight. And all that overnight success has a really long journey in the background. And that journey is comprised of doing small things every day to get you to that goal. And that to me is the Olympian journey. And that's what I live and embrace every day. What is an everyday habit that adds value to your purpose? Oh, um, I struggle with everyday discipline because in sailing every day is different. Um, so what I really try to do every day is at least either listen to some form of podcast or audible book. Uh, I used to read a ton, but now by the time I go to bed at night, I'm, um, I'm too tired. I fall asleep. So I, I definitely do something that's motivating for myself every day. And I also really try to spend a short amount of time, at least some amount of time, uh, with, uh, my family and my spouse, just because you have to pay attention to those relationships as well. So those two things are really key for me. Absolutely. If you could have a conversation with one person living or dead, who would it be and why? Um, so I thought about this. I've been thinking, I think about this question a lot because I'm like, hmm, who would it be? But I think the, I'd like to go back and speak to my 12 year old self. Mm rather than somebody famous because that 12 year old was not really sure of anything and sort of put herself in the background and back row of pictures and didn't really like herself very much. And I would like to tell her that it's okay because being a 12 year old girl is a lot of confusion and that, you know, things are going to work itself out. I've never so. heard that answer before. That's an interesting answer. What is your main strategy for organizing your day? I try very hard not to let it go into complete chaos. <laughs> um, because I have three different things that demand full-time attention. And I make sure that each one of those gets attention every day. So I'm a to-do list person. I've got my notebook right here. I write lists. And that is a main thing that I have to have. And if I'm not writing down what I have to do, my mind gets too busy and I can't sleep and I can't actually focus on what it is that I am uh, that task at hand. Cause I'm also always thinking about what the next thing it is that I have to do. So I'm a to-do list person, whether it's on a notepad or on my phone or whatever, it's, it, I'm a to-do list person, <laughs> get it, get it out of the brain and onto the paper so that you can execute. All right. Mm -hmm. What was your worst entrepreneurial moment and what did you learn from it? Oh, I remember the first time I completely messed up um, a client's order 
and I just messed it up completely. And it was, I was doing it in a hurry. And I know that about myself is that if I do things quickly, then I am uh, careless or I, I just don't, I'm not as detail oriented and it didn't happen. Um, and what I learned from it is that, you know, the mistake was made, but I owned up to it and took full responsibility and accountability for it and just said, how do, how do we make this right? And figured that out. And it was horrible to admit to it, but that terrible feeling where you just feel sick went away really quickly. As soon as I told the truth, fessed up and said, okay, I've made this mistake. We need, uh, I want to work with you to fix it. Let's fix it. And yeah, the person was a little annoyed, but then in the end, they appreciated the fact that I took ownership of it and wanted to make it right. So I always believe that if something goes wrong, you just own it. You tell the truth. And, you know, even if the person doesn't forgive you for it, or they're really mad, at least it's out there and you're not living with the burden of this mistake or the lie or whatever it is that you've done. If you just fess up and own up and say, listen, people make mistakes. It happens, you know, and the, the, the people will respect you for the vulnerability and the honesty that you have, because it's, it's difficult to find people who will have that honesty and build want to build that trust with you to actually own them, own the mistake. For sure. Live your truth so that no one holds it against you. There you go. Absolutely. If you had to build a business from the ground up with only a hundred dollars, how would you leverage that? So I would seek out the experts in that field. What I found is that the people who are super successful are always the most open to, um, to give you their advice and their help for free. There's a great book that's called three feet from gold. And it's about someone who is trying to do that. They're trying to build the business pretty good and they have nothing. And they go and they seek out people who are going to give them counsel. I love that counsel, not advice. Advice is from someone who anybody can give you advice. Your grandmother can give you advice. Your friend down the street can give you advice, but someone who really knows what they're doing will give you counsel. And it talks about how can you serve people? So with it, with only a hundred dollars, it's, you know, find out who's, who's got the, has done it before. Most everything's been done before and learn from that and use those tools. You can spend your whole time trying to reinvent a wheel. And if that's where your passion is, then great. But if you take the expertise of other people and learn from them, then that's, that would be the path to success regardless of how much money you have to start up, mm-hmm. whether or not you have a, a hundred or a hundred thousand, you, you won't go anywhere if you just spin your wheels and, and try to do something differently when probably it's been tried before and hasn't worked and then take your path once you know more. Which app or online tool do you use every day to help contribute to your success? <laughs> the Green Pea Parking app, for sure. <laughs> it has saved me hundreds of dollars in parking tickets, especially in Toronto. Um, I use the audible app a lot. I love that. Uh, cause I listen to it in the car. I don't necessarily like to listen to a lot of news. I find the news really depressing. So I like to listen to motivational books, uh, on the audible, which I, which I absolutely love. Um, and po- I, the iTunes podcast, 
I, those three are kind of the, the ones that are always going. Yeah. For sure. Those, those are, those are my three that are always going. As well. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? So when we didn't qualify for the Olympics in 2004, I had to do a lot of soul searching to decide whether or not I was going to continue for 2008. Um, my two teammates decided that they were not. Um, they were both in serious relationships and they wanted to get married and have kids, which I embraced and, and was very happy for them. I was not in that situation. And I took a number of months to think about it. And during that process, I the universe put in front of me a, a old friend of mine who is a two-time Olympian. And he asked me if I was continue, going to continue. And I said, I hadn't, hadn't decided yet. And his advice to me was, if you enjoy the journey, if you enjoy the day-to-day activities of what you have to do, if you enjoy the travel and the process, then keep going. If you don't enjoy the process, then that sealed the deal for me because I loved the training and I loved the travel and I loved the people and I loved pushing myself every day to do something more and, and improve every day. Uh, and yeah, it really wasn't about the two weeks of the games. It was about everything that we learned and created and built along the way. All right. List your top three most influential books. Okay. So I put, just said that one, Three Feet from Gold, which I actually forgot. Um, but I love that one. That is a really powerful, powerful book. One of the books that I believe has actually secured me uh, jobs in the past uh, is a book called The Speed of Trust by Stephen R. Covey. He's the son of uh, the guy who wrote um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Interesting. And what this book is talks all about is the, the importance of relationships and how long it takes to build those relationships and that trust with your clients or your um, uh, your, your company and how quickly it can be destroyed mm. by not doing what you say you're going to do by not listening carefully by, um, thinking that those relationships aren't important. And it's a, it was a book that was given to me by a business coach right after the Olympics. And it, I keep it with me all the time because it, it has so much truth and power to it, uh, because trust is everything. Absolutely. Uh, the other one that I like a lot is called Girl Code. It's by Kara Alwil Leba. Um, I love this because it's a series of uh, conversations with female entrepreneurs and women living their truth and actually being female and not trying to be a, a man in a man's world. It's about finding their own path and figuring out what their truth is and their bliss is and and making that their their life's mission and it's it's humorous and it's irreverent and it's fun and and i listen to it on audible i listened to it but three or four times and i laugh and cry every time it's great interesting and then the third one um is start with why by simon sinek and there's a second book um that goes along with it that's uh, called find your why it's pretty much the core of everything, right? I mean, if, if you don't know why you're doing something, then the how's not going to follow along. Um, it's, it's why is someone mad or upset? 
it's like what has caused that what's what what's uh, the reason is something probably happened to them the day before if you understand why you can have more compassion for that person if you understand why you're you're doing your business or why you're building something you'll have much more passion and much more energy for it especially when you get tired uh if you and what i love about this book is that it's so simple and it gives you such real examples and allows you to really dig down and say okay why why am i doing this and should i really be doing this because is that really who i am and what and just to keep asking the question why and i think it can apply to anything why you're doing something how you're doing something uh and i always go back to why like if i find like i'm getting frustrated with something or i see that something's not working i go back to the why i read that book that was a solid book too. it's a good book yeah tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on i don't think you need to be a horribly or overly tough mean person in in order to really achieve i think you can be fun i think you can be um energetic enthusiastic you can and you can be who you are you don't have to be what somebody else wants you to be in order to be successful because if you if you are trying to be something that you're not you're going to end up having a heart attack or a stroke when you're 40 so that's not success to me uh it i think in some business they they drum that into you and maybe that that's not who if you're not that mean hard ass that maybe you shouldn't be in that business if you're trying to be someone that you're not you're ultimately not going to be successful i don't think you can mold yourself into something that you're not mm-hmm. so you, i believe you need to find find the the box that's going to fit you and then break the box uh one of the girls i sailed with in the olympics she uh went to a very reputable american school she graduated from economics in a high level and went and was a two-time three a three-time olympian and she went to business school and she said i'm going to quit and i'm like why she goes well i don't have any experience i don't and i go well you should do your experience is just different it's no less valid it's just different so don't let them put you in a box that you don't belong in find your own box mm mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you just have you can you can be yourself and be true to who you are and be successful and ultimately you're actually be more happy. Okay. Is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Don't ever stop trying to find what it is that's going to make you happy. Uh keep empowering yourself to to get to that point whether it's self-help and or personal development reading another book taking a new class trying something because you're never too old to try something new and to, and to make it work for you uh fear and and holding yourself back i think is the the saddest thing that that can happen to someone and i mean i deal with fear all, every day but if you let that paralyze you then you're living half your life so just go out there and embrace it and be open to the opportunities and when you find that just persevere and never give up. How can the purposeful story family follow you on your entrepreneurial journey and reach out to you? So I have a website called um it's risingtides.ca so r i s i n g t i d 
S-E-S.ca. Um, Facebook page is Martha Henderson Consultant Olympian, um, or Spoken Lives, the motivational speaker series also has its own uh, Facebook page. It's Spoken Lives Toronto West. So you can follow on all of that. I'm also on Instagram, My Rising Tides, but Facebook, you know, I'm 50. So my age group follows, it follows Facebook for. <laughs> All right. I haven't embraced Snapchat yet. I'm not even sure about that. So Snapchat has me a bit confused. I can't laugh. (laughs) Good. Thank you. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Appreciate you coming on the show today, Martha. And thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. No problem. Thank you, Purposeful Story family, for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. That's all for this episode. I hope listening to this podcast left you with valuable information that either strengthened your purpose or helped bring you closer to finding your purpose. We all have a different journey in life, and this podcast is in support of everyone's purposeful journey. Thank you so much for tuning in, because without you, there is no Purposeful Story podcast. Please feel free to email me at info at iamkobe.com and let me know what you thought of this episode. To help spread the valuable information this podcast has to offer, all I ask is for you to subscribe to the podcast via the Apple Podcast app, Podcast Addict, Google Play Music, or CastBox, give a rating, and pass this podcast on to one friend that you feel could benefit from this information. Don't forget to follow I Am Kobe Talks on Instagram for updates on new episodes, and go to IamKobe.com forward slash Purposeful Story for more valuable content. Special thanks to DJ Anna for the beats and Lala Wrights for the editing. Before you go, please remember that purpose drives your actions and your actions are a result of your purpose. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.